Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. My name is Paul Rowley, and I am your host for this evening's show. Radio Gag, as you know, is the radio show of Gays Against Guns, a direct action group fighting to end the bigotry, racism, homophobia, transphobia and misogyny that fuels the American gun violence epidemic. And wow, folks, it's Pride Month and I'm already, as I said to a friend of mine yesterday, I'm exhausted and triggered in equal measure. This week, wow, ups and downs between the Pulse Memorial, the historic Supreme Court decision yesterday, the Trump administration trying to shut down health insurance and health protections for our community, gigantic, massive uprising of people across the country. Wow, here we are. We are certainly in an historic moment. Let's talk, first of all, about the Supreme Court. Three words. Win, win, win. Okay, let's dig in. Supreme Court decisions, what it means, what is left to do. First of all, a huge win for the LGBTQ plus community in a six to four vote that ensures that the landmark Civil Rights Act covers sexual orientation and gender identity in the workplace. This means that you can't any longer get fired in your workplace because you're LGBTQ. Okay, there's there's some subtleties to dig into here, but... It, this is undoubtedly one of the court's most significant rulings ever with respect to the civil rights of the LGBTQ community. So what does this mean? This will extend protections to millions of American workers nationwide and is a major defeat for Donald Trump's administration, which had argued that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act that bars discrimination based on sex did not extend to claims of gender identity and sexual orientation. Yesterday, the Supreme Court decided that this does extend to us. Joe Biden, who is the Democratic nominee for president, said the Supreme Court has confirmed the simple but profound American idea that every human being should be treated with respect and dignity, that everyone should be able to live openly, proudly as their true selves without fear. Now, there's an American ideal that we can all aspire to live by. And in fact, We are all trying to live by those ideas. It's just there's a lot of people getting in the way. So the dissenting judges claimed that this amounted to the courts legislating instead of interpreting the law. However, as we all know, the majority of American people agree that when it comes to equality and civil rights, everyone in this country has an equal right to live freely and without discrimination. Decades of academic sidestepping and trickle-down semantics does nothing but damage people's lives, reduce our opportunities for an equal life and impact Americans in ways that they spend their entire lives trying to overcome. So yes, this is a great victory for our community, but actually also one person I find really tinged with sadness because Amy Stevens, who was the trans woman whose challenge to the court marked the first time the court heard arguments about the civil rights of a transgender individual Well, Amy sadly passed away in May, so she did not get to live to see her victory live out. Amy Stevens, a trans woman, had been fired from her job at a funeral home when she came out to her co-workers about her gender identity. 
So what's next? What does this mean? So unfortunately, it's still legal to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people in federally funded programs, including hospitals, colleges, adoption agencies, and as well as to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people, women, and almost anybody else in public places like hotels and restaurants. So what's the ask here? We need Congress and state lawmakers to catch up now with the Supreme Court and the overwhelming majority of people in America pass full federal and state non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus people. And we also need to insist every day on the reality that despite the decision, black LGBTQ plus people still face disproportionate discrimination across their lives, regardless of what the Supreme Court is currently saying. And until our laws remedy this systemic racism and inequality, and our culture catches up with these laws, our work as a community, as a people, is far from done. That was the first decision. <laughs> okay. The second decision was about something that we find, of course, very, very dear to our hearts here is gun safety. So gun safety advocates yesterday welcomed that the Supreme Court declined to take up several cases regarding the scope of the Second Amendment. The justices turned down petitions from 10 challenges to state laws established to limit the availability and accessibility of some firearms when they can be carried in public. So five of these asked the justices to determine whether the Second Amendment allows the government to restrict citizens carrying firearms outside the home to those with, in quotes, good cause or justifiable need to do so. I mean, obviously, that's a very vague and subjective term. Um, Two of the cases also challenged state laws involving bans on semi-automatic weapons and high-capacity magazines, something that here at Radio Gag we are constantly constantly asking less deadly weapons less bullets less death those two laws one was in illinois and the other was in massachusetts it was over 10 years ago that the last major decision really had been made by the supreme court and that was of course district of columbia versus heller case which changed the laws to allow individuals to keep guns in their own homes for self-defense now, many Americans, has been shown again and again, are not aware that this was such a recent change in our laws, pro-Second Amendment folk especially, who seem to constantly insist that their right to keep arms at home was established hundreds of years ago when it was not. It was 2008. It was the year Rihanna sang, Please Don't Stop the Music. The global economy tanked and banks were bailed out everywhere. Well, except for Iceland, where the bankers went to jail. But my point being, it really wasn't that long ago. And then the third win, as a major kick in the seat of the Trump administration's anti-immigration pants, uh, the Supreme Court said it will not take up a legal battle over whether local governments can declare themselves sanctuaries or not, and also refuse to help federal agents, i.e. ICE, informing immigration laws. So the challenge was to a California law related to immigration, 
which bars police departments and sheriff's offices from notifying ICE when immigrants are to be released after serving sentences for local crimes. So basically this means that when you get out of jail for something like a minor offence or in this day and age for like being randomly picked up at a Black, Ma- Black Lives Matter protest and thrown in jail, that ICE will not be waiting outside to deport you when you have lived in this country for 40 years and your kids are in college. So Supreme Court, thank you. But especially, you know what? Thank you to everybody who has shown up again and again and again and again for these protests. We went down to DC with Gays Against Guns last October. Hundreds of people got arrested to protest this potential decision to shut down equality rights in the workplace for our community. Hundreds of those people were transgender. And you can only imagine, if you are not transgender, what it means to be in the prison system in this country as a trans person. So, big shout out to all of the people who showed up and made this happen. Thank you. So, that's the good news this week. Bad news. Friday, during Pride Month, On the four-year marking of the Pulse Massacre, the Trump administration finalised a rule that will remove non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus people when it comes to healthcare and health insurance. Roger Severino, a devout Catholic and Heritage Foundation staffer who now directs the Office for Civil Rights in the Department of Health and Human Services, stated that the Trump administration defines sex discrimination as only applying when someone faces discrimination for being female or male and does not protect people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. So now this is what we have. We have our government that is in 100% polar opposition, not only to the will of the majority of American people, not only to millions of LGBTQ Americans and their families, but also the Supreme Court of this land. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. This is a reversal of an Obama-era law. A federal law established that it is illegal to discriminate on the basis of race, colour, national origin, sex, age or disability in health programmes and activities. And in 2016, the Obama administration explained that protections regarding sex encompass those based on gender identity, which is defined as male, female, neither, a combination of male and female. Right? So a 21st century definition of what it means to be a human being. Right? However, this... Clown Severino stated, we're going back to the plain meaning of those terms, which is based on biological sex. And this is something we hear a lot, you know, uh, biological sex, which is an extremely reductive definition of what it means to exist. Plain. What a dull word from a dull man to describe the vitality, courage and brilliance of the LGBTQ community. I mean, in fairness, no matter where you stand, I think it's fair to say that the LGBTQ community can hardly be described as plain. I would encourage Mr. Severino uh, to show up at a gay pride march and see how plain he finds that. This is the thing that really gets me as well. One of the reasons that he thought was really good to push this through, I mean, apart from his um, biased religious uh, agenda, he said that the rule could save hospitals and insurance 2.9 billion over five years because they will be relieved of the requirement to print notices of non-discrimination in several languages and include them with significant mailings. 
Right. So discrimination is being praised for saving taxpayers money by discriminating against our community and also non-English speakers and immigrants at the same time, right? So under this new rule, let's what, what does this actually mean? A trans person could, for example, be refused care for a checkup at a doctor's office. Other possible scenarios could include a trans man being denied treatment for ovarian cancer or a hysterectomy not being covered by an insurer. It could also mean that those seeking an abortion could be denied care if performing the procedure violates the provider's moral or religious beliefs. It just boggles my mind that people like this Severino snake devote so much of their lives to deliberately making other Americans unequal, unhealthy, deprived of basic human rights. What a morally corrupt and joyless way to live your life. So you can save money on memos. And being in the middle of a pandemic as we are, these new rules can also make it more difficult for trans people who are already reluctant to seek medical care, all the more likely to avoid coronavirus treatment and testing. More trans people dying at home because they are afraid to go to hospital and they can't get the medical care their cisgendered counterparts get access to without even having to give it a second thought. I want to quote here Tia Sheree Gaynor, a political science professor at the University of Cincinnati, who I was reading this week. They said, I can't help but wonder if the timing of this ruling is by design so that it is something people won't pay attention to. And I can't help but think about how this impacts black trans people, arguably the most marginalised group in our society. For black transgender people, Gaynor said, it is layers of oppression. It is transphobia on top of racism, on top of economic oppression. All of that can affect their ability to get healthcare during the pandemic which she said, in turn, could have public health implications for all of us. Meanwhile, this week, we are again devastated to hear of two more black trans women murdered. Rhea Milton of Liberty Township, Ohio, was shot and killed on Tuesday by three people who lured her into a car park where she was ambushed and shot to death. A friend wrote on a GoFundMe page set up to help pay for Milton's funeral, my dear sister, Rhea Melton, passed away. She was an amazing person, loved by everyone. A second victim, Dominique Remy Fells, was found along the banks of a river in Philadelphia earlier this week. Reports say that Fells' body, and I'm sorry if this is upsetting to our listeners, um, her body sustained serious injuries to the head and the face and her legs had been separated from her body and were not recovered at the scene or anywhere else. Daya Lynn Alvarez, a trans woman and community organiser, told the Philadelphia Gay News, one more precious black trans woman's life has been violently taken. In response to these murders and the ongoing violence against the black trans community, in Brooklyn this Sunday, it's estimated that over 15,000 people took to the streets, dressed in white, in a march for black trans lives. The size and intensity of this march, I mean, stunned all of us, bystanders, participants, the organisers. I mean, with Gays Against Guns here, uh, we organised an event last November for a Transgender Day of Remembrance. And OK, granted, it was like sub-zero and we were out by the Hudson River. But, you know, maybe 100 people showed up, you know. 15,000 people in Brooklyn for Black Trans Lives this weekend. 
videos show a sea of people stretching for blocks and blocks and blocks from Grand Army Plaza all the way down Eastern Parkway and it even made it all its way up to Fort Greene at one point. One speaker at the rally, Melania Brown, sister of Laylene Polanco, who many of our listeners will remember as a trans woman who was found dead last year in a cell at Rikers Island. Brown said, Black trans lives matter. My sister's life mattered. If one goes down, we all go down. And I'm not going nowhere. So we hope that this violence affecting black trans women and black trans folk is finally getting the attention that it deserves. Black transgender people not only bear a disproportionate burden of police violence, but also face high rates of violence and harassment on the street. The American Medical Association said last fall that the killings of transgender women of colour in the United States has amounted to an epidemic at this point. And here's a, here's a stat that haunts me every day. It's estimated that the average life expectancy of a black trans woman in the United States in 2020 is 35. 35 years of age. That's all you get. And just to wrap this news section up, Friday marked four years since the shooting of the Pulse nightclub in Orlando and many of the Radio Gag team and Gaze Against Guns gathered at the Stonewall National monument for a vigil and reading of the 49 names that night four years ago 49 mostly black and brown queer kids lost their lives when a shooter armed with semi-automatic weapons that he had bought legally entered the club and opened fire a standoff with the police lasted three hours as the shooter made his way through the club shooting people he found hiding in bathrooms and hiding under dead bodies at the time it was the worst mass shooting in modern american history the outrage, anger and grief just went around the world and in fact led to the founding of our group, Gays Against Guns. So on Friday, we gathered there. We had our human beings with us, which our listeners know are figures that remain silent, dressed in white and veiled, and they carry photographs of the victims that they are representing and they hold space for those people. They bring them back for a moment so people can remember them and they create a physical presence for a life lost to gun violence. It was incredibly moving evening. You can actually watch back the event if you go to the Gays Against Guns Instagram account. That's uh, Gays Against Guns NY on Instagram and also on Facebook. So that is the news. Let me catch a breath. (laughs) And like I said at the start, we are living in very, very, very historic times. Speaking of the forming of GAG, and the four years since we've been in existence. We have a special interview this week with Robert de Dominic, who is a Gays Against Guns member, a teacher and a writer. And he is interviewed here by our regular host, Sarah Lilly. And we're going to hear about what motivates an activist, what motivates a queer activist, and why are people in the fight to end the gun violence So epidemic. tell us, Robert, um, why did you join Gays Against Guns? For years, I was a classroom teacher. And when I started teaching in 2000, active shooter drills were not as common and as much needed as they were in recent years. Every time there was a school shooting, it it affected me tremendously. You know, I have students, I have friends in the school, and to think that a shooter could come in 
and just start start shooting people is horrific. And these shooter drills are stressful for the students, for the teachers, from Columbine to Virginia Tech to Parkland. It's not getting any better, it's getting worse. And as someone who is vigilant and who thinks there should be stricter gun control laws in this country, gays against guns when they started was just the right fit for me and it's just an outlet where I can have my voice heard on so many different levels that I'm honored and proud to be a member of Gays Against Guns. I wish, I wish we did not need a Gays Against Guns, that we are the only country in the world where we have these mass shootings on a regular basis. So as long as we have these lax laws, I will be marching and fighting and protesting with Gays Against Guns. What can you tell us about uh, gag and pride? Gag and pride for me are almost intertwined because gag was started after gag was started after the Pulse Massacre in 2016. I think it was a couple days after, and that was just a tremendous loss to our community. And I remember feeling very helpless. And I remember thinking that something needs to be done. And a day or two later, a friend of mine said, hey, did you see this? And there was a meet, there was a sign to this meeting for Gays Against Guns. It was in June, 2016. And it was formed in outrage and anger after the Pulse Massacre. You know, at the time, actually at the time of the Pulse Massacre on that Saturday night, I was in the club here in New York with friends. And the fact that it was just so, that it could be us, it could be anywhere, was just, it was just heartbreaking. So the first event I actually did with GAG was marching in the New York Pride Parade. And we were 200, 250 people strong. And it was the first outpouring of emotion where people were galvanized. People were not taking it anymore, that we are finally, we are finally standing up, we are finally having our voices heard, and we are finally, making some sort of change. And last year we had two Pride events. We marched in the Pride Parade and we also marched with Reclaim Pride, which is what I marched with, which was, again, extremely empowering, inspiring, exactly what I want from Pride, where I'm marching with like-minded people for a cause, for a change. Awesome. Uh, can you, Tell us about the distinction between the Pride March and Reclaim Pride. For me, and I don't, and you know, I wasn't one of the, I wasn't one of the organizers for us. But for me, I I love Pride. I love being a part of Pride. However, in the past years, the people running the Pride Parade have made it more corporate, where it's now a nine-hour parade where the more money you give, the closer you are at the beginning. So if you're like Macy's or if you're like Capital One Bank, you know, you're marching at 12, one o'clock with as many people as you want. And if you don't have that money, they're burying the community groups down at 6, 7 p.m. And it's a very different pride parade for those marching at 1 p.m. to screaming to screaming crowds to those marching at 8 p.m., which is when people are marching. Something needs to be done with Heritage of Pride to make the Pride Parade more accessible to everyone. A nine-hour parade is what nobody wants. Nobody wants to watch a parade for nine hours, and it needs to be less corporate. 
Reclaim Pride is taking it back to the streets. No, no barriers, no police, no barricades, just marching. And that is what we did. We marched uptown to Central Park instead of marching downtown where it was more grassroots, more organic, and exactly what Pride should be. Great. Robert, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. Well, folks, thanks as always so much for listening in to Radio Gag. We are here every Tuesday at 6.30 on listener-sponsored WBAI. As always, we would like to encourage you to go to give to WBAI.org. And I know you're listening and I know you listen every week. And if you can find it in your heart to chip in 10, 15 bucks to help us keep the show on the air, that would be so, so greatly appreciated. You can listen back to our show anytime on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening, folks. Be safe out there. My name is Kathy Marino Thomas, and I listen to Radio Gag weekly on Tuesday nights at 6.30. I listen to Radio Gag to get the most current news and outlook on the gun violence epidemic in America. I'm also a mom, and I appreciate WBAI's coverage of the current pandemic and school closing. Become a WBAI buddy. Thank you so much.